Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. My essay husband confessed he felt aroused when he saw our nine-year-old granddaughter's wedgie when she was wearing a bathing suit. Does that necessarily mean he is attracted to children? Could it be he actually triggered from recalling some adult pornography he viewed? FYI, our full therapeutic disclosure and polygraph is coming up soon. So hopefully I'll find out the truth then. I, um, I think this is a very difficult question to answer because if, if he had confessed to you that he felt aroused when he saw your 15-year-old daughter or granddaughter or your 17-year-old granddaughter. It's not atypical for adult men to be attracted to children in their late teens because they have adult bodies and all that. But someone who has, I just can't imagine, I mean, just thinking for myself, looking over at a nine-year-old in any setting or any situation of any circumstances where I would find that arousing. And so while I applaud him for being honest, and I think that's uh, probably the most important piece about this. Uh, I am also concerned, and I don't know whether it means he's attracted to children or not, but I sure know that most people I know would not look over to a nine-year-old and get aroused. So I don't know him. I don't know what it means. I don't think it means he's recalling adult pornography. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Tammy could give some feedback on whether this would or wouldn't come up in a polygraph kind of thing. But what are, you, what are your thoughts, Tammy? Oh, I, I'm, and I've been vocal about it on the, um, on the webinars. I am not a fan of polygraphs because they're like, I mean, they're a coin toss. There's YouTube on how to pass a polygraph. Right. People have bribed the polygrapher. I mean, like there's some, but, but they're, they're truly a, a coin toss. So you're basing your granddaughter's safety on a coin toss of a polygraph. That would not make me, a. I would like, I, I would be, um, I would care less about the disclosure. I think I'd be getting him to qualified testing for offender. I, I would be wanting to have someone right. properly assess, you know, the, 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 there are sex addicts, there are sex offenders. There is the Venn diagram where there are some that overlap, but there's a, you know, there are others that are, there are offenders. I do applaud that he told you about this particular incident. Um, but like, yeah, I'm a grandma. I wouldn't like the, the, those kids would not be, I couldn't, I couldn't be, have him be around kids. I like that. I have that much of a reaction. I have to protect the kids. So, um, so let me I don't just, think that's uh, an overreaction either. I'm going to. No, I want to pile. Uh, I can never get my lighting right. I want to pile on in on that and say that um, regardless of what you know or don't know under these circumstances, I really want to reinforce what Tammy said, which is, you know, I would just make sure that that whenever the grandkids are around that you're there, you know, or, you know, I mean, in the room because. And here's the other thing. And I I'm glad you're talking. I don't know about polygraphs. I'm certainly glad you're talking about disclosure, but. My fear is that um, people who admit to something like that, often there's more that they haven't said. And they may even be admitting it because it makes them feel a little better about having gotten something out. So I'm actually very concerned the more I think about that and listening to Tammy. So 
Um, yeah, and I agree with her too. I, I mean, polygraphs are good for, did you cheat on me? Did you not? You know, maybe I don't have, I'm not a big fan and I don't think they're helpful in as many cases as part you partners think they are. In fact, sometimes I think they make things worse, but really having him evaluated for, could he harm a child? Um, and if you want to call Tammy, she will give you a referral. That's T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. But she, we know people who do offender evaluations. Now, if he gets offended, excuse the pun there. Um, that's a whole other discussion because I would want to bring this into some couples therapy and get a sense of reality with him in the room. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry that's going on. I really appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, you know, like and the holidays are coming up and you go I, like, I, like, it's just challenging. I, you know, I would not want to be thinking about what is my husband thinking about when the grandkids are around, you know? So, right. um, so yeah, so it's challenging. And, and here's one more thing. And again, obviously I'm a mom and grandma, but uh, it's one of those where I'm going, like, if I was the adult child and I found out my dad was doing this, or there was a possibility that my child could be in some way, you know, on a, on a radar, hurt, touched, whatever, you know, and that, and they aren't, in the know and protected, I like that. You know, I want to keep my child safe, so I hey, would. Terry, I'm not sure what you just said. Can you okay, say that again? So, so take a breath. Yes, I know. I've got it. Like, really, this is really bothersome okay. to me. Okay, so, so I, I'm a mom. I have a nine year old child, and um, uh, my dad is doing. He that he isn't, but my dad is doing oh, something. See. My mom knows about this, and nobody tells me so that I can protect my child. Uh huge i i would i as the adult parent of the nine-year-old would feel huge I betrayal see. at not being able to keep my child safe you know so so like there, this is complicated and i'm not saying run off and tell your children but get and we can't tell you to what do that. to do yeah yeah but no, I hear no. tammy's intent which is if you're feeling this you know maybe her the child's mother should know to keep an eye out the other thing i'll take it further it's really important to talk to children about touching and, you know, it would be a great opportunity to say, whether it's your coach or your whomever or your auntie or whoever makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, this is what you need to do. And don't worry about getting them in trouble. I mean, I think this is a very good opportunity, whether it happened, whether anything ever happened or not. And by the way, to say, has anyone ever done that? And you've ever felt uncomfortable? And what a great opportunity it is to just have that conversation, which you need to have anyway, and make sure that they're safe. The problem is what Tammy said. It's really not your conversation to have. It's his mother or father's conversation or both of them to have. And so like Tammy says, a very tricky situation. I would not want you running. I understand what you said, but I wouldn't want you running to their mom and saying, this is what he no. told me. I think that would be a nightmare. Right. Um, you need there's professional a lot more help with this. Yes. Yeah. Investigation. Yeah. Yes. Help. And what you can do, to, you know, you know where your husband is. So I would absolutely make sure that when he's over there, you're there too. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. let me say one more thing, one, yes. one, one more thing. I really, and I want to go back to the honesty, and I really admire the fact that he is willing to be honest with you and come to you, but behavior has consequences. And just because I tell you, listen, I'm really, 
wanted to tell you that I saw a sex worker and I had a slip, that doesn't mean that you're not going to leave me. It doesn't mean that, you know, behavior has consequences. And just because I was brave enough and courageous enough to really tell my truth doesn't mean that my truth isn't going to cause a problem. And while he was very brave to talk about it, there may be negative consequences as a result of his talking about it. And then he may feel like he was a victim of this. He's not a victim. He's never a victim here. So anyway, thanks, Tammy, for all that time. Okay, next question. I'm the betrayed partner. Did the disclosure in October and I provided the impact statement. I have heard references to the restitution letter. Can you explain what this letter is and at one, at what point it is recommended? Should the addict be at a certain point in recovery? So Tammy, uh, because you've heard so many of the trainings for CSATs and all that, and I don't really even think of it in that format, maybe you could explain what you experience out as being because you'll be better than me at this. Possibly. What is a restitution so, so letter? A restitution letter would be from the addict after hearing the impact letter. It would be, and, and it isn't like, I'm sorry, I did whatever. But, you know, Dr. Rob has talked about, like, if somebody's a heroin addict and they spent their child's college education fund on heroin, the restitution is that they restore the account, you know? So, so there's a specific, here's, I, I can't undo the past, but here's what I'm going to do to try to right the ship. So, um, so um, I would think that your, your spouse's therapist as part of that would be working with them, you know, taking the information that you've provided at, from your impact statement. Um, but I would not, I mean, it wouldn't be like the next day, but like, I wouldn't expect it to be more than a few weeks so that they've had a few sessions probably to work on, you know, what it is and to make sure. Now, some, some of the guys, and I use guys, but some of the guys you do these in groups so that they're talking, they're saying their restitution letter and the rest of the group has feedback on it. So that can be really useful. So, so there should be a period of time where they really have taken it in and they're hearing it and they're thinking about how they really would do this. And it isn't just lip service, but if it's, yeah, I mean, like, October is only November. So, you know, if it gets to be December and you're not hearing anything about it, that I would be going, you know, I would talk to your therapist and have them talk to his therapist or something about that. But so what's the plan? Let me, let me clarify with you, Tammy, because I want to understand yes. is a restitution letter simply, um, uh, I'm sorry. And uh, wait, now hold on. Yeah. And my restitution is I'm going to go to lots of meetings and I'm going to talk to my sponsor every day and I'm going to go to therapy. Is that restitution? Well, it depends on what it is. It, you know, I mean, uh -huh. like, like I, I, there was an example of, let's say there was a vehicle that was involved in an affair. The restitution is I'm selling that vehicle. Uh, I mean, it's that type of thing where like on this particular thing that is traumatizing for you now to see this particular vehicle, I'm going to get rid of that vehicle. We're going to go shop for another one, you know, whatever. I mean, so it's usually um, pretty practical things. It isn't just okay. about what my recovery plan it is. It's like Good. for these things where you've talked about being impacted, you know, mm -hmm. where I ruined a vacation because, you know, I was doing this. We're going to, you know, here's how we're going to, it's not going to fix it, but here's what I'm doing to try to make restitution for that specific thing or a, a betrayal. Does that make Great. more sense? That was that was great. Thanks, Tammy. <laughs> okay. All right. So the next question is, my husband is having trouble finding a 12-step group that works with his work schedule. Oh. Nah. 
Just breathe, and breathe, breathe, breathe. Also, isn't so religiously based. We are four months from D Day, been married eighteen years, and both of us are involved in a week individual weekly therapy. So, well, uh, let me just take a stab at this. Um, by the way, Tammy is also equally <laughs> great at answering this question <laughs> yeah. as I am. But um, so, I'm not going to talk about the work schedule part. I'm just not. What I'll talk about is the religiously based. Um, I'm interested in that part, which is that all twelve step programs have a spiritual foundation, if you will. Now, spirituality and religion mean different things to different people. I don't think any 12-step program is about any particular religion or ethnicity or class or race or any of those things, but they do have elements where the G word is used and people talk about it. Now, for me, God is the connection between me and another person. It's when we look at each other and we seek healing right in between us. That's God. For someone else, it's you know, a guy in a big gray beard up in the sky. It's it's not any of the 12 steps job to define that for you. It's it's in fact the focus of it not to define that for you so that people don't feel um, like they don't belong here if they're not if they're Jewish and they're not Catholic or whatever the heck it is. Um, but um, and let me just say something about that. There are different 12 step programs and some of them have a lot more uh, focus and emphasis on on scripture, on all those kinds of things. And they tend to be uh, S.A. meetings tend to be Sexaholics Anonymous, tend to be the most structured and the most, in my opinion, religiously focused, whatever that might mean to you. Um, S.A.A. Sex Addicts Anonymous, I think, is a little broader and more open and has a little bit. Uh, it just feels more comfortable to me. Um, but Tammy, you, you want to jump in? Yeah. We are well, equally... so like celebrate recovery is more Christian focused. I'm you know, like right. that, that is, you know, they make no bones about it. They're usually in churches. They're, you know, so, right. so that's, that's a different, you know, I uh, think smart recovery is more guided and led. We have drop-in groups on sex and relationship healing.com. People create, you know, peer, you know, connections. There are, you know, in a pinch, you can go to, you know, any, you know, 12 step and, you know, just be thinking about what your particular issue is having a sponsor. You can work with a sponsor at a mutually convenient time. So, so, uh, so, um, a few years ago, well, maybe eight, 10 years ago. Now my car was in the shop and I could have gotten a ride to a 12 step meeting and I decided to walk because I didn't think it was that far. It was a lot farther than I thought, better. But, but I thought it was like, it was one of those where I was willing to go to any lengths. And we talk about that in 12 step. I'm willing to go to any lengths to do re recovery. And so it really is a focus. I see the chat popping up. I'm just gonna let you know, I don't pay attention to the chat. We've got a bunch of stuff in the question. So if you're chatting, it probably won't get seen. But what I hear is, him making excuses. I mean, because like in the rooms, there there are twelve step meetings twenty four seven. Most of the places, you know, the S groups and everything have gone to online. You can be joining a group in Singapore, you know, because their time zone works. You know, so to me, that's you know, like oh, I'm well, going hard. If you have time to eat lunch, you have time to go to a meeting. You know, you can close your door and even if you don't go, even go to 45 minutes as opposed to an hour, you can sit through most of it. Um, and I would say this, if someone had time to act out, if they managed to find time to look at porn, to be with sex workers, to have an affair, they can find time to get into their recovery. Uh, I don't think there's any better answer than that one, actually. Um, and I'm going to give you one more option. This isn't 12 step, but our sex addiction 101 level one starts again, December 2nd. It's a guided 
it's for, at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 90 minutes, and it's with peers. And guess what? Those guys then connect with each other and then they can set up peer connectivity beyond just the group. $350, six weeks, really good psychoeducation, strong foundation stuff. So, And I wanted to say something about Tammy because I've talked to a lot of couples recently. I do consultations and I talk to couples or in different places. And addicts will say, they say, oh, I read one of your books. And nine times out of 10, it's out of the doghouse. Nine times out of 10, it's a book about how you make peace with the spouse when you've cheated. And while I think that's really important to know how to make peace with your spouse when you've cheated. Uh, books about sex addiction, what sex addicts should be reading in the beginning, at least as a part of what they're looking at. So what Tammy's talking about is we took my workbooks and work and spread it out over six week periods so that we could actually teach and do homework and educate um, the guys or ladies, depending on which group they're in, um, about what we're doing and how to get recovery. So all I'm saying to you is two things. For the, for the sex addicts in the room, I certainly want you to understand how to make peace with your spouse, but you will never make peace with your spouse unless you get into your own recovery first. So if you're going to get a book, get Sex Addiction 101, take a course, do something that is focused on your addiction, because everyone who comes into the treatment and the guys are in seeking integrity right now, I can guarantee you they're there because one of their relationships is about to fail. Nine people out of 10 come into treatment because they're going to lose a relationship that's important to them. But the goal coming out of that is not just to get forgiven or to learn how to be better understood. Or The goal is to stop the behavior. And that's why we talk about the courses. That's the first place addicts need to start. Well, he's not kind to me. He's not compassionate. He may not be, but I'd rather he, he was at least not seeing sex workers. You know, So there's a basic piece that has to be gotten in place before we can even understand how to make peace with you. So I think I just went on a bit. Sorry, Beth. I no, ran It's all good. So yeah, <laughs> I did on the first one. So uh, should all slips... Should all slips be discussed with the wife, the therapist, and the sponsor? Um, yes, yes, and yes. Um, and just to clarify, because this comes up very often, a relapse is a return to sexual acting out without telling anybody. I'm back in the porn. I'm back with the affair partner. I'm doing it all over again. But I haven't told anybody, which gives me permission to keep doing it. Um, a slip is something where, you know, I made a bad decision. I ended up in the wrong situation. And I immediately go and talk to my wife or partner, my therapist and sponsor. I bust myself. You know, I let it all out. And then, by the way, it makes it a lot harder for me to act out because everyone's looking like, wow, you just did that. Well, you need more meetings for therapy. And as I've said to many spouses, and I'll say it to you again, as much as none of you would want your partner to act out, as much as none of you want to be in this experience where someone's cheating on you, what's more important than that is their honesty. I know that you say, I'll leave this person, they ever do it again, but trust me, when they come to you and say, I'm really struggling and this happened, you might feel like leaving, but the next thought you're going to have at some point is, wow, this is new. Like, this is actually what happened. And I actually know what's going on. And he's or she's actually letting me in rather than being worried about being punished. And so I think that that is actually a step forward, um, although I'd prefer the slip didn't happen, period. But yes, everybody needs to know about it. I mean, not Uncle Sam, but everyone involved in your recovery needs to know. Um, Tammy, do you want to join? Well, that? to the same level, because like I, to me, you know, like I would want as a spouse, I would want to know, you know, some level of it. I don't want all the gory details maybe, um, but 
I would want to know. And I would want to know, and I'm calling my therapist and I'm calling my sponsor, you know, but now with my sponsor and my therapist, what, wouldn't I want to go a little deeper into what's happened? Like, are there, like, is it the exact same accountability for all three? Yes. And we're talking about a okay. slip. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I get it. I didn't quite understand. So if I um, drive through the wrong part of town, where I used to act out and I think, oh my God, what am I doing here? And I call my sponsor and I nothing, and I actually don't do anything. I would not tell my spouse. I don't think it is uh, my inching forward or inching back in the process. You know, it's only going to leave you feeling uncomfortable. And I know you spouses want to say, if you even look at someone, I want to know, but, but that's not healthy and that's not good for anybody. But you absolutely need to know if I have a slip. You absolutely need to know if I have broken that, um, that most important boundary, if only because in a year, you're going to say to me, wow, you've got a year of recovery. I'm going to say, well, actually I only have seven months that ain't going to go well. So anyway, okay. thanks, Tammy. Thank you for clarifying. Next, um, question. Can you please explain reenactment to be more specific? Why would an ad addict act out 99% of the time with the same sex? <laughs> Sorry. He was tampered with as a young boy by a man and says, this is his way of reenactment. Can you ex please explain to me? I can't understand this. It seems to me that it's, it's his sexual desire. I'm struggling with wondering if he is gay or bisexual. How can I know for sure? He has acted out 99% of the, with the same sex since he was in his teens and is married for 57 years now. No, this person didn't say they were a partner. So I'm assuming if I got that right, that this is, we don't know who this is. I'm assuming it's the spouse for 57 and is married and, um, and is married and is 57 years old now. So the so, person is 57. They've been married to a woman, but is been acting out with men. 99% oh, no, no, I got all that. I just yes. didn't realize okay. I wasn't sure how long they were married, whether it was 57 years or no, but, um, Tammy and I ran into a case, a situation like this. And, um, so let me just give you the basics. Um, I was doing a consultation. It's a two-hour thing that I do um, that you can have with Tammy can organize if you want it. Um, but I do two-hour consultations. And there was a woman there who was, I don't know, maybe 60, something like that. And her husband was like 64. And they'd been married for 35 years. And he'd had sex with hundreds of men and her and maybe one other woman when he was in college. And she had the same question. And part of the question came up because they'd been to every therapist on earth. And every time that guy went in and said, well, you know, I don't really feel I'm homosexual, but I really think it's, and I was molested. The therapist went down that route and said, oh, well, it must be some kind of reenactment or blah, blah, blah. That's just a bunch of bullshit. Excuse my language. You don't reenact 99% of the time. You might, when you're drunk, once go, you know, do something with this, uh, you know, reenact something in some way. Maybe you do it occasionally. But what I said to this couple was, and I'll say it to you, um, a duck, what is it, a duck now? Oh, oh, it talks like, like a duck, a duck. walks like a duck, must be oh. a duck. You know, if I, how many people have you had sex with that are male? Way up here. How many people that you have sex with are female? Way down there. Guess what? You're a homosexual. Welcome to the club. And just because someone doesn't want to have these feelings and doesn't want to be that, it's so much easier, or when they don't, it's so much easier to say, oh, look over there, it's a red herring. A red herring is a distraction. Look over there. I was molested. That's why I do this. No, you do this because this is what turns you on. So to you, whoever, to this person, I don't like to say their names. Um, I agree with you completely. This is sexual desire. 
Um, this is someone who's hiding their the, their primary sexual desire uh, behind a screen of, uh, oh my gosh, things happen to me and that's why I do this. And uh, he doesn't want to own what he is, so he keeps making it a question. The reason I brought up the consultation is because this couple had been together such a such a long time, and this spouse and he had been to so many therapists. Oh, poor baby, you were traumatized. You must be reenacting. And all she wanted to know, after like thirty something years, was: Is he more into men? Is that his thing? I call it gay, call it homosexual, whatever you want. But she wanted to know: Is his primary desire to men? Because every therapist I've seen gives us a different answer, and then he swings it around. And thirty years, I don't know what's going on. And we went through this not much more than this scenario. And I said, "The walks like a duck." And I said, "Yes, your husband is a homosexual. He may not let." And she just said to me, "Thank you. That's all I wanted to know. I may not leave. I may not stay. I don't know what I'm going to do and how we're going to handle this. But I just needed somebody to say this was true." And he would not. And by the way, he was on the call because I do consultations with couples. And he, I said, do you have any issues with this? When I said, what I said, do you have any disagreements? He said, well, not really. So 30 years of hiding in secrecy came out in 10 minutes. And simply because there wasn't anyone around to buy into his fears and buy into the things he didn't want. And someone was willing to say, this is how I see it. And uh, it took all the air out of the tires. But I feel for all the years that she got pulled along because he didn't want to leave her and he wanted to have this family and he wanted to be viewed as a heterosexual married guy who was a picket fence and all that stuff. But he kept you, the partner, in the dark for all this time. And I'm just sorry for that situation. And by the way, to those of you who don't know, homosexual men can have sex with women, especially when we're young, especially if we have a, a meaningful relationship with them. Uh, just because you're homosexual doesn't mean that you can't have sex with some of the opposite sex. It does, however, mean that they are not in any way your primary interest. Um, and this is a person who is not primarily interested in women, my opinion. Tammy, would you like to add to that? Well, no, I, I yeah, I, I, I agree. And I hear, uh, unfortunately, I hear these kind of situations often, and it often is in this age range. There's a certain, um, you know, and sometimes it's cultural, familial, whatever. But, um, but regardless of his sexual attraction, he's still acting out. He's still out betraying you. So there's the right. lies and secrets and everything else. So, so it isn't just, oh, he might be homosexual. He is still, he's still out, you know, right. acting out and betraying you, whether it was with a woman or a man, you know, like does matter, but it also doesn't matter because he's still, he's still cheating. So there's still infidelity. So that's And let me jump on that, too. Tammy. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. And I'm sorry that I'm, I'm sorry I missed it, which is, um, a man will come into treatment and say, I have sex with all these men and I have sex and I'm married. And I what am I, gay or straight? And my interest is, um, are, the, are you lying? Are you cheating? Are you, because I'm not as interested in who you're doing it with. What I'm interested in, like Tammy said, is are you betraying your commitments? Are you lying? Are you acting out consistently? Because then there are two issues on the floor. One, you're a sex addict and two, you're confused about your orientation or don't want to look at it. But the one that trumps is the one that has to do with the acting out because that will destroy everything. Um, so I agree with you, Tammy. The biggest issue here is not the one that's being talked about, which is he cheating on me. Thank you for that. That was great. So if you want to schedule an expert consultation with Dr. Rob, Tammy, T-A-M-I <laughs> at SeekingIntegrity.com. It, I mean, it's always just optional, but man, like, you know, we had, and it might've been the same couple, but you had been to four different therapists over two years and no one was able to identify. So just the relief of getting somebody to go, 
here's your options, you know, is, you know, can be helpful. So, okay. Next question. Hello, Dr. Rob. I'm a chem sex addict, six months sober. Yay. And doing SI meetings and check-ins. How do you build psychological resilience? Is it, uh, is lack of it cause of addiction? Hmm. What do you think, Tammy, what do you think this person means by psychological resilience exactly? I kind of feel I, like it's like, uh, how do I resist temptation? Like my triggers, like th that's what I am picking up on, but I don't know. Well, the second part is lack of it cause of addiction. So to me, maybe there's, I thought of that too first, but I'm passing it by again. And I'm thinking you're talking about like, being well-regulated inside, being stable inside. How do I build psychological resilience so that, um, because um, yes, if I feel badly about myself, if I'm ruminating, if I'm depressed, that, and you see that as a lack of psychological resilience, then yes, it will lead to addiction. If you're not able to tolerate and manage the day-to-day -day things that are happening in life, if you don't have the emotional resilience to tolerate a disagreement or a fight or a lose a loss, then yeah, you're gonna act out. But um, everything we do to get sober and work on ourselves builds psychological resilience. When I can learn how to reach out to people for help instead of acting out, when I can work on it, work on it, when I can be more, well, sorry, I'm qualifying that. When I'm acting honestly rather than lying, when I have my integrity intact and I'm not split into four different people, all of those things. So it's mutually reinforcing. The more sober I am, the better I feel about myself, the clearer I am. And the more I work on myself, to, you know, whether that's dealing with depression or anxiety, or whatever, or trauma, then I will be less likely to act out. So they go together. Um, however, I probably am not, um, you know, if it's a deep psychological problem, like I can't get out of bed or I'm thinking of, you know, a hundred times about washing my hands, you know, then it might be a psychiatric issue that needs to be managed so that you can be more resilient. But Tammy, I, I think you're aware of this. The word resilient has become very important in, in our literature now, because what's really being talked about is how can you bounce back from difficult circumstances without raging at someone or acting out, or it's about being resilient. So that that's the right term. And I'm glad you're bringing it up. I am too. And I really want to commend you because I, I know chem sex in particular is so difficult. So yeah. six months is fantastic. And, and Dr. David Fawcett did a, um, a webinar on resiliency one time. And I always thought people are resilient or they're not. And that's not true. We, it's mm -hmm. like exercise, you build resiliency. So everybody has it. We just may have little, but, but like working out at the gym, if we do it, we're going to build that up. And so all of the things that Dr. Rob just mentioned helps us build those muscles. So, so great question. I, I just wanted to say one more thing, which is resilience can be spotty. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if there's a car crash, I can get in there, I can help you. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to say such a bad thing, but if someone got ill or they, I, I'm all in, I can do the laundry and help you and work hundred miles an hour. And I'm very resilient when there's a certain kind of crisis. However, if someone lets me down, I might be devastated, you know? So there are, it's not black and white. There are areas where we can be very strong and areas where we're particularly vulnerable. And once you identify those, then like Tammy said, it's, it's working those muscles to be able to tolerate it. And therapy and 12-step meetings, all that is where you do that heavy lifting. So thanks. But even within an area where I may have more resilience, if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, if I have, if my bandwidth is down, my resilience across the board is going to, I will be more vulnerable to things that, you know, I might 
like that might not, you know, ding me at all on a normal day, you know, but if I really slept poorly last night, like it's going to be more of an issue if there's too much going on, whatever. So, so being like being mindful, being aware, being grounded, like all of these things that we learn in program and that we learn in recovery all help us, you know, like Dr. Rob said, you know, all of it knits together and we become more resilient. And then you know, we have more bandwidth and, uh, you know, we know what to do because we go, oh, I'm being a little triggered here. So, so it all layers on six months is great. It's still early. Give yourself some grace. Keep coming back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.